At long last, I am able to say a few words of my own. Read my lips. Government is not the solution to our problem. Senator, good morning again in America. Well, look, Big Bird. Yes, we did. Government is the problem. Welcome, everybody, to a conservative and a liberal walk into a bar. My name is Matt, and I'm a liberal. My name's Tim. I'm a conservative. Thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to check us out on our website, libcon.podbean.com. We're in the iTunes store. We're in the Google store. We're in the Stitcher store. I don't know why I felt the need to enunciate on all that at that time, but I really did. It's weird how that came over me. Anyway, Tim is on Twitter at libcontim. I am on Twitter at libconmatt. Sure to buy Tim's book on Amazon. It's called Things I Want. Uh, tonight, well, we're going to talk about uh, lots of stuff. Uh, we've got, but we're going to try to not. Good. We're going to try to stuff. not focus on the one thing I don't want to say that we're going to do is talk a lot about Trump stuff. We're going to lead off with that, but we're just you know little pieces of it because it's just like freaking Groundhog Day. He is here. taking over. On the so my on my beloved economist on their website they have like most commented on like most read like these are the five articles you need to read every single one of them was Trump related I was like God dang it like he's even taken over my magazine it just it baffles me to hear how like the media they they say that the media never covers him I don't actually see the media cover Hillary Clinton Hillary Clinton yeah. gave a massive. Economic speech tonight. Massive economic speech today. This is this was her her big economic moment, like Trump had his on Monday on CNN. I it, I was watching CNN for forty five minutes before they even mentioned her or the speech, and they had one of those little asinine Trump sycophant dudes on there. This time it was Jack something or other who does this little Trump person tap dance where. Didn't he say, you know, did, did he say this? Did he mean this? No, no, that's not what he meant. I mean, it just meant with the Hillary and the email and the media. No, and yada, he just yada, talks. Yada. He never means anything that he says, but all he's doing is speaking the truth. Wait a minute. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, think we, I think we failed. We failed already. We right, did. We have failed. Yikes. All right. Uh, in the polls, the big, the lead, getting bigger. She's almost up to averaging 8% in real clear. Trump actually fell under the 40, 40% threshold today. Uh, Nate Silver's projections are at worst 79% or something for Hillary. Uh, just, again, it's it's everybody jumping off the ship at, uh, at, at, at Camp Trump, except for his most ardent supporters. Who you know what? If the guy was running to be president of the Tea Party, he'd be he'd be he'd be he'd be winning by a landslide. He'd be great, but he's resurrected this Barack Hussein Obama bull lately in the last twenty four hours, which he thinks is some sort of. They, 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 people are calling it a dog whistle bullshit. It's a bullhorn trying to get people to pay attention to him. He's not going to win anything by doing this. He can keep hitting it all he wants to. He's not going to. There was the whole Second Amendment. Thing. I mean, it's just a whole bunch I'm of done. ridiculousness done, as I'm far done, as I'm I can. Done. You have tell. I mean, what is what is he also? Trump. Obama's also the founder of ISIS, uh, and then he went back and said, "No, no, literally, he's the founder of ISIS." Like, ah! Did you see that word salad response he gave to Hugh Hewitt this morning yeah. after Hewitt like was basically begging him to walk it back, and he wouldn't do it. 
One thing I dug up that I thought was fascinating is that on Sunday, uh, last, last week, it was on Sunday, and uh, or maybe the week before that, Hillary gave that stupid interview about, you know, where she was trying to walk out what Coco had said about her and, and how it wasn't really dishonest about the email, and it was just dumb and ill-advised. And the Washington Post gave her a four Pinocchio rating over it, right? So the next day, all of the Trump people are out screaming, none of the media is talking about this four Pinocchio rating that she got. She got a four Pinocchio rating, one four Pinocchio rating from the Washington Post. Nobody's talking about it, and that's media bias and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I, I, I checked. He's got a lot. Trump has 39. I'm not kidding. I'm not exaggerating. They even have an entire web page dedicated to tracking all of Trump's four Pinocchios. And those people now, want batshit over one of them for Hillary. One. Now, I will say this. this and, and this was just disturbing from a morality standpoint, I guess. Uh, while he does have 39, what, what, they, what the Washington Post points out is that they only review the they basically only review the comments that they get asked to review right people say you should look into this and so they look into it people hate trump so they ask they get a lot of requests right to to review statements that he makes so he has way more partially smallly because he gets investigated more now that said his percentage is astronaut is much higher than hers, right? His percentage of, of four Pinocchios for the number he has. Um, but what's disturbing is that if you take, you know, his four Pinocchios and three Pinocchio statements, and it's, you know, something ridiculous, like 70% of the stuff he says, but Hillary Clinton is, has about 45% as well, which is much lower than Trump, but that still means that almost 50% of the claims that they have investigated have been almost completely a lie. And that's bothersome to me that, that that's the case. Now I will say I've researched this in the past well, and historically, uh, at least going by, you know, these fact checker things, but uh, the most honest politician is Barack Obama. Yeah. And here's an interesting, and a, a guy sent me this, uh, a buddy of mine sent me this, uh, this graph today mm-hmm. from PolitiFact, okay, which is sort of the one of the standard bearer fact checker things. Can we agree on that? They're an independent fact checking group. Everybody knows PolitiFact and trusts them for the most part. So they've got presidential candidates since 2007, of which they have graded more than 50 statements, okay? And this is a, a who's who of those who have run for president in the last several years. At the very top, and they, they, they grade anywhere from true, mostly true, half true, mostly false, false, and pants on fire. Now, Trump doesn't quite have the highest pants on fire rating. That dubious honor goes to Michelle Bachman. But nice. his he does have, of all of the statements that they've graded, nearly 80% of them are at, at best mostly false. Nice. And for, but the interesting thing, and you're, and you're right at the exact opposite end of the spectrum is Obama with 75% mostly at best half true at worst half true. Hillary Clinton actually is only just a hair above Obama on this list, according to PolitiFact. Yeah. I've noticed that she, I remember looking into that. We did a show talking about, you know, is Hillary a liar? And I remember looking into this and saying, okay, well, let's see. Was she a big, is she a big fat liar? And at least according to PolitiFact, she is not. 
Yeah. And as a matter of fact, the entire list, this is in order from worst to best. So at the top of the list, worst is Trump. You go Trump, Bachman, Cruz, Gingrich, Palin, Santorum, Walker, Perry, Ryan, McCain, Rubio, Romney, Rand Paul, Christie. You go that far down and then you get to the first Democrat, which is Biden. Ouch. Then Kasich, then Sanders, then Jeb Bush, then Hillary Clinton, then Obama. Well, I like that Kasich is at least down there amongst the, <laughs> amongst the Kasich Democrats. Kasich and Bush down there, right? Down there amongst yeah. the Democrats. They are literally surrounded. Yeah, they are literally surrounded by the Democrats. Yeah. The interesting thing is that Sanders has zero pants on fire ratings. Sanders does? Yeah, not a one. Interesting. As, a, as, as, as the worst as they get. Now, he's got a lot of, a lot of false and mostly false, but... <laughs> Well, like so, I said, I mean, I like I've you know I like Sanders. I don't I don't like some of the divisiveness of his stuff, but he seems like yeah. an honestly good guy who really believes that this is the way to help people, and you know, so I'm I'm not entirely surprised by that fact. He is, as they say, in as Billy Bob Thornton said in Primary Colors, he's got Gallup and TBism, true believerism. <clears throat> I think that's uh, that may be that may be Bernie's original sin. He's a true believer. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> So, uh, I, I don't, I don't know that. I mean, there was, there was the whole second amendment thing. Yes, it was disgusting. I really try. I got to admit that I I looked at that and I thought, you know, I heard about it and I was like, you know what? I bet the media is slipping out a little bit about this. I'm going to go back. I'm going to read the entire statement. And I read the whole statement and I really tried to squint at it and go, I bet he was kidding. He's got to be kidding. And then I watched his delivery on it and I tried to squint at it and I thought he's got to be, he's got to be kidding. He's kidding kind of kidding it he's kidding if you squint but that's it i don't know that there's any other way to say that that was some sort of veiled threat but you don't you don't kid about shooting a presidential nominee that he wasn't even kidding about shooting a nominee he was kidding about shooting her after she got elected yeah this isn't this isn't something you kid about as the secret service highlighted for us you know like it's not not funny. <laughs> I, I, and they keep having I to do it. They keep having to even. Yeah. They keep having to investigate not just him but people associated with his campaign because they're saying shit they're not supposed to be you just don't say that stuff. You yeah. just don't. I will tell you, for all of the rhetoric that's been against Obama, I have been eternally grateful that nothing horrible happened. Because I I was legitimately afraid that some psycho would would do something. So I am. I'm still legitimately afraid. I am very glad. I'm ah, not gonna feel he's, comfortable. He's almost gone. <laughs> I'm still not gonna. I am not gonna feel comfortable until he walks. Until him and Michelle and the girls walk out of the White House and over to their new house. It's just down the street anyway. And 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 once they're out, then I'll feel safe. And especially not with him out there, with Trump out there rabble rousing in ways that that Palin didn't even dream of. Yeah. Uh, now and again with, I mean, he he literally in speeches today was out there doing the Barack Hussein Obama crap. So, you know, I don't know. I'm done. I'm done with that dude. We're moving on. All right, but we are going to continue to talk about the Republicans um, because this is getting Yay. this this is this has gotten. Well, but it's 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 a legitimate concern, and I want to I do want to lead this off. It, it was at the bottom of my notes, but this is this is this to me is a legitimate concern. We've we, everybody anybody that listens to this show knows I am a, I really am a moderate Democrat. I believe very firmly that this country 
functions at its best in the middle. And it can't be in the middle without a functioning Republican Party. And you've seen it happen. And since 2008, the Republican Party went extreme. The response this year was for the Democrats to go extreme. And the middle is vanishing. And that's only going to lead to trouble. And it's, it's not, we still have right now, at least for now, we have a center-left Democrat running. And there is time for the, Demo- for the Republicans to come back to the middle and back to the table. But I don't know if it can happen. And I'm genuinely con- because of this, this echo chamber that you and I have talked about. And it goes beyond, it goes beyond Trump to me. You know, I actually was glad to see that, that Ryan survived, you know, because, but then again, maybe not, I don't know, you know, maybe they needed to have their tea party guy get his, get his butt kicked, you know, maybe, but then what if he didn't get his butt kicked? You know, what if he actually won, you know? Um, so, and, and Fox news has just completely gone off the rails. I've noticed in the last little bit, and they used to be sort of, they used to be just blatantly Republican. Now they're blatantly tinfoil hat crowd. Sean Hannity has become the most worst Trump sycophant, and he is now pushing basically Breitbart's agenda. They hosted a guy from the alt-right who is a, is a date rape apologist the other night, and he like legitimately is. This isn't just crazy progressives calling somebody who made a stupid statement once. This is a guy who actually runs a website who was a date rape apologist. Today, they had an entire show called Sports Court that was all about how women in the Olympics didn't look good enough because they're uh, they're not wearing any makeup. This is a direct quote. Would you put money behind a gal that won the gold medal and looks like a washed out rag? Wow. Right? Wow. This was on Fox News, legitimate, one of the highest rated news stations out there these days. And these, these are the like, highest, you know, I think. the highest. Right. So this is this. This is conservatism. We got to fix it. How do we fix it? I guess run for office. I don't. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have. I I mean, it's just frustrating. I mean, it's it's I I don't have an answer for how this gets fixed. Um, You know, all of our politicians standing up together and 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 reclaiming the center right. But unfortunately, so many Republican politicians at this point are not center right conservatives. They're they're on the far right. The I, I'm sorry. The Tea Party won. The Tea Party won a long time ago, and this is the new direction of the Republican Party. And I don't think it's a direction that we can survive. And we have to we have to turn the ship around. And you know, we had a chance if we had nominated someone like John Kasich to do that. We didn't. Um, we had a chance if Paul Ryan had stood up and said that he would not support Trump. Um, he didn't. So I, I, I don't, I don't see the path ahead. I don't, I don't know what's next. Uh, and all I can do is hope that with the number of Republicans that have come out against Trump, um, that someone will rise up and, and lead us back to the center. See what they're what they're what the what they're missing with that is a big name, right? You really needed either Ryan or McConnell or McCain, one of those guys, to come out and stand up to Trump. 
in order for this to really work. You needed to, it, it couldn't be junior senators. It couldn't be representatives. It needed to be a big, big name to really jump up and do it. And it wasn't going to be McConnell because McConnell does not have a spine. In fact, I'm not even sure he has anything but skin anymore. But uh, it needed to be either Ryan or, or McCain, I think. And because one of those two, I think, legitimately could have done it. I still think McCain could do it, but he won't. Uh, and I don't know. I don't know about Ryan. You know, Ryan's out of his primary fight now. Maybe, maybe Ryan could pull it off. I don't know. But uh, you know, they, they, there's been this point that they sort of gerrymandered their way into these non-competitive races at the House level. And when you don't have any competition, then you don't have any reason to move back to the center. You can just go as far to the right as you want, and you don't have to worry about it because people are going to vote for you anyway. Yeah, and I feel like that's really the the cardinal sin uh, of our political system is the the ability to gerrymander that this has been allowed and accepted, uh, and it, and it's been violated by both parties. I mean, both parties have been guilty of this. Uh, we just did it really, really well this time. Uh, yeah, yeah, and it's. I, I, and I think it's coming back to haunt us because now our our base, um, you know, the people who get out to vote for primaries are the super passionate ones. You know, the one uh, they're the ones on the far left and the ones on the far right. So now our Is that what we're calling. We can't call them crazies anymore. We have to call them the super passionate ones. Yeah, I think it's nicer. Um <laughs> You know, and so th- and that's where we're at now. And now our candidates are are dictated to us uh, by the extremists. So, so we're effed. Yeah. Whole ship's going down. Uh, I don't know what to do. <laughs> does it does it make sense to? I mean, do you actually believe that this could go the way that Republicans could go the way of the Wicks at this point? I just I, in this day and age, I, I just think it's, I, I don't know that I see that happening because there's so much money involved. Well, I mean, I see where in a, it would in be, a political party. I see where you it would be I mean? hard, hard, super hard for that to happen. But I don't know what the other possibility is because I don't feel like this can continue. This just supreme and utter gridlock. I, I don't see how that continues to function. So. I, I don't know. I just I just don't know what the answer is. I don't know how this gets fixed. We either have to come to the center. I mean, three things. Well, it's one of three things. We either have to come. We're either going to come back to the center, or we're going to stay far right and prevent anything from happening in government, or the Republican Party is going to dissolve. And I, I don't know which one it's going to be. I'm That's hoping fair. for option one or three. Yeah, yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. Um, one one point that got made tonight on CNN, Margaret Hoover, who's a she's a conservative um, a conservative commentator who does not like Trump, made the point that in '72, when the Democrats had McGovern and everybody knew McGovern, excuse me, was gonna was gonna lose and and lose huge, and he did. The Democrats actually managed, and I didn't know this, but the Democrats actually managed to lose that election as badly as they did, one of the worst in history, but they actually picked up two Senate seats. And the reason they did it was because they basically cut off the head of the snake monetarily Mm -hmm. and dumped all the money into the down ballot races. 
and managed to sort of save the sinking ship for the most part. Well, and that's what and, you see us doing right now, right? That's what that's what you see people starting to push for is for us to cut off Trump and push the down ballot races, right? But and this is the thing we talk about, you know, okay, well we're anti-Trump, but a, a primary anti-Trump guy is Ted Cruz and people who follow Ted Cruz, right? I don't I don't think Ted Cruz is a real Republican. I really, I guess I hate. Yeah, nor I, do I. I guess I hate that phrase, but he doesn't subscribe to the same ideals of the Republican Party that that I envision. He he, he doesn't subscribe to that one, this sort of center right party. So even if we do push the down ballot tickets, I I don't see the, our down ballot candidates as the Republicans that I prefer. <laughs> Yeah, people talk about the Republicans as though they had this deep bench and they talk about this victory that Trump won in the primary season this year as though he defeated this remarkably experienced and deep field, wonderful Republicanness, and, and it was oh this amazing thing. And and he went and schooled all of them. But I look at that field and I saw two one term senators in Cruz and Rubio, one of whom admitted that he never showed up because he hated the job. Uh, you had one guy in Jeb Bush who hadn't been in government in at least 10 years, hadn't run any elections uh, in that long and showed up looking like he didn't really care. Uh, Rick Santorum, who in his last uh, election got absolutely destroyed uh, trying to get back into the Senate. Uh, Rick Perry, another governor who, who uh was on the way out. Chris Christie, one of the least popular governors in America right now. Uh, Mike Huckabee, who hadn't actually held a political office in like 15 years. Uh, am I, who am I forgetting? Am I forgetting anybody? Well, Kasich. how was this how, case? Okay. Kasich was one, but everybody knew him. Everybody almost knew instinctively immediately that Kasich was going to have an uphill battle, you know, because he knew what he was doing. Um, and Rand Paul, also a one-term Senator. So, how was this such a deep experienced field? I, and I don't know that it's a deep bench because most of those, those names just on that list that I racked off earlier are tea party people. Well, they're tea party people. Absolutely. But they were definitely the big names that were being held up as the future standard bearers of our party. Rand Paul. Absolutely. People have been talking about him running for president since he got elected to Senate. Same thing goes with Marco Rubio. Um, Chris Christie was a huge name until Bridgegate, and he then when he took that hard right. Um, Jeb Bush was virtually the the coronated person, right? You know, until until Trump got in there and blew him up. Um, so while while I can see where you would look at it and say this isn't this uber experienced field, these were certainly big names. You know, he didn't crush a bunch names, of Michelle. Yes, he didn't crush a bunch of Michelle Bachmans. He he crushed. He crushed our big names. He, he crushed everyone who we had been thinking for the last um, four years would be our candidates. Well, and I, I, I think it's it would be good of and honestly on both sides of the aisle for people to look at Barack Obama as the exception and not the rule. One term people who just barely have started out on their their Senate careers rarely have the sort of oratorical skills and intelligence that Barack Obama's got to be able to not only win a presidential election after like a year and a half in the Senate, uh, but then to do a pretty good job as president afterward. It, it's That's a rare thing. I mean, you have to go back to maybe Jack Kennedy 
And then before that, Lincoln, a hundred years before that, people with that little experience winning and coming in and doing well. Uh, you know, and, and I think Rubio and Cruz um, looked at, at – and Paul, all three of them, looked at what Obama did and were like, well, if he did it, you know, we can do it too. So now we better go now without before maybe, I don't know, we can get tainted by being in the Senate longer. I got nothing. So anyway, yeah, I, I just I, – I, I, I think I want to see – I do want to see this happen. It's sort of like what – what Steve Jobs said about about Apple's relationship to Microsoft in order for Apple to win, Microsoft has to lose. We have to stop thinking like that. You know, I think Democrats need to stop thinking like in order for Democrats to win, Republicans have to lose. That doesn't have to be the case. No, it doesn't. And Barack Obama has said that exact thing. He has said that he wants a strong opposition party. He wants yeah, a he strong Republican party because he, he, like us, recognizes that this is necessary. But unfortunately, we're just our moderate candidates, our center right candidates don't win. They don't win the presidential nominee and they don't win in their House and Senate primaries. So I, I don't know how we get back because that's not who the Republican base wants. So it isn't just an issue of, oh, look at our crappy politicians. Our base, the Republican base has decided that those are not the politicians they want. And there's not yeah. a lot we can do about that. Yeah, and that's a shame. So, all right, we got to move on. We're gonna do. We're gonna. We're gonna. We're gonna do. We're gonna try out a new segment tonight. And I don't know if this is something we'll continue to do or not. But uh, in, in unless you've been living under a bridge, I'm sure you're aware that there is a new Harry Potter play out. Sort of a newish, a new Harry Potter story that was kind of written by Joe Rowling, but not exactly. I don't know what the hell the deal is. I honestly, I haven't read it. I've read the summaries of it. I'm not really all that interested in it, but I did run across an article insisting that Dolores Umbridge from Harry Potter and the order of the Phoenix was, was, was the consummate socialist Democrat. And immediately the hairs on the back of my neck bristled up and I got all angry. (laughs) So I put the question to you, sir, Dolores Umbridge, was she a Republican or a Democrat? Oh, of course she was a Democrat. I mean, she was, she was, (laughs) She was virtually a communist. I mean, you know, she was all about the the power of the state. Um, yeah, I don't even think that's debatable. No, she just no. wasn't the big sweetheart that you think that all Democrats are. So. <laughs> no, no, she was an isolationist. No. She was a fear monger. She, she was. A, she was Nancy she, Pelosi. She was, <laughs> That's who J.K. Rowling has said it. That's who she modeled her character after. I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't. I don't. I don't see Nancy. I don't see Nancy having a problem with 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 uh, people with Muggle parents. I think Nancy would totally have married a Muggle. Oh, touche. All right, that's true. Yeah, if you look at yeah. it from that that standpoint, then I hate that that would make her a Republican. I think that would just make her. A, <laughs> A big mean person, but um. <laughs> all right. Well, we're not. <laughs> that's enough. Look at my African American over here. See, well, yeah. you see? Well, yeah, I love yeah, my African American. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do we love the poorly educated? I love the poorly educated. We, you know, we 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 love them. We love them. Both- Anyhow, all right. Uh, we uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, uh, broadband access. Um, specifically municipal broadband. Uh, municipal broadband is the idea that your 
uh, city or town, wherever it is that you live, would offer broadband services, much like they do trash services, water, electric, well, not electric, but uh, as, as part of uh, municipal offerings. Uh, this is something that has been being pushed uh, by the Obama administration uh, for uh, quite a while now. Um, some of it initiated with the city of Chattanooga trying to run their own mobile broadband service. Uh, their Republican representative, Marsha Blackburn, decided that she didn't like that, so they tried to stop it, uh, saying that the FCC had overreached. It went to the courts, and the courts agreed, saying the FCC did overreach and that they can't allow mo municipal broadband. Uh, so things will stay as the status quo. Uh, so we're going to talk about the pros and cons of this one. So uh, my thinking, what I don't understand, is I don't really get Republican opposition to this. Um, I mean, I do in the sense of the whole big government thing, but this is essentially meant to spur competition in a place where really everybody knows that there is no competition, at least in a lot of places. In some cities like the one where I live in, you have two choices, you know, mm -hmm. two legitimate choices. You've got AT&T, which has DSL, U-verse, and then you've got Time Warner Cable, both of which are frankly Satan's toadies. So... Uh, now, when frankly, we talk, having, clarify something for me before we dive into all, too much, too far into this. Is there a different? What is Windstream? Uh, Windstream is this part of that? Or are they Windstream is kind of yes, they are broadband. Windstream, I believe, is DSL based, so they would be sort of like AT and T. And what Windstream does is not unlike what say Sprint or T-Mobile does where they purchase other, they purchase rights to use other companies, cellular towers in Windstream's case, they purchase rights to use other companies, uh, broadband communication lines. And I looked into it and the service was not all that great. Uh, from what I understood, at least not in my area. So, um, but they are a data provider, and I, I want to say the technology is DSL. So, yeah. Okay. Sorry. Please continue. Which is significantly less than, uh, by the way, DSL is sort of bottom end of things. It's significantly less than what you would get from your cable provider or from, say, AT&T U-verse. Um, so, that said, uh, again, Obama's been pushing it. Republicans don't like it. It's meant to spur competition, right? That's that's my thinking in an industry that technically is very much lacking in in competition. Uh, so why why are they so opposed to this? Because uh, we don't live in China. Be the, <laughs> the this is the whole idea of we don't like state owned enterprises. This is not this is not something we're a fan of. We think that this leads to cronyism and all sorts of issues you look at petrobras the the massive petrobras in brazil right this is their state-owned oil company you look at the state-owned oil companies in ecuador uh you look at the state-run companies in china this is we do not like this that is the government getting into the market and therefore controlling the market because it's the government and they can do that so my response to all this is we, we don't need state-run institutions and state-run corporations getting thrown into the mix. We need to use 
what the power that we already have at hand, which is the antitrust laws. If these companies have legitimate monopolies, which I think that they do, then that's where that's where the fight needs to be. We need to enforce the laws that we already have on the books and break some of these companies up. Well, I think that's fair as long as I see that, you know, but so my point would be is that one, this is not the state as it is your local municipality. So if they're so worried about that, then why aren't they coming after the city of Durham for giving me my water service? And that's legit. Or my, or my, or my, or my trash pickup. This is, how is that any, how is that not any different? How is that not different between the two? That is completely legitimate. That is a completely, that's a very legitimate analogy. And I'm not going to sit here and say that municipal broadband service is a horrible idea and we're going to, you know, go to bed tonight and wake up in China. I, I, I don't mean to imply that. Um, but I don't understand why we're pushing that instead of pushing just enforcing the antitrust laws. I, I don't get that. This I don't understand. I guess I don't really either. But we even back, this has been a thing with the cable industry and telecommunications since they started, mm-hmm. frankly. Because I can remember moving to new towns when we were kids and you go to a town and who's the cable provider? Well, okay, it's Cox in this town. So we call Cox in this town. We go to the next town and, you know, it's somebody else, you know, uh, Comcast. Well, okay, we call Comcast. Yeah. And there is no one else. And that's always been the way it is. Yeah. So you know, why haven't we been using these antitrust laws anyway, which I think we discussed this last week or the week before that, that why aren't we, we, we just don't seem to even have antitrust laws. We seem to be perfectly fine with monopolies these days. Yeah. Um, especially when you take into account the fact that time Warner actually out, not only do they own all of, are they my cable provider, but they own about half the channels that they're giving me. Mm-hmm. So, which is really frightening. Um, so, I mean, you, you, you come back and say, no, we don't want that. The government, you know, government's going to take over everything and then there will be no competition when the government takes in. Well, there's no competition now. So why is that bad to add another player to the market? You know, like my, my analogy with every time I hear that is, is, you know, uh, the postal service, uh, UPS and FedEx seem to be doing pretty well. Mm-hmm. So how has how has the post office held a monopoly because the government's involved in shipping? They don't seem to have a monopoly in shipping, and they've been involved in shipping ever since this country was founded. Yeah. So, and again, we have a good, healthy market of various options for shipping things. I guess at this point, I probably have to concede the point. And while I am skeptical of state-run institutions, uh, I, I, you make you make a good argument, and I, I guess I, I don't really have a I don't have a comeback for it. Aside from that, I I would prefer to see antitrust laws used to provide more competition. But if that's not on the table, then I don't think that municipal broadband would be such a horrible thing. But I, that's the reason why Republicans would be inherently against it is because we are automatically sketch on state-run institutions. State-run corporations. Well, institutions in general, let's be honest. Well, that's all I have. I don't need to really host a podcast anymore. Good night, ladies and gentlemen. It's been real. There we go. Matt wins. Um, <laughs> yeah. I win. No, I, I mean, you know, I'm... Uh, and, and I don't I mean, understand... I, I'm, glad, I'm glad we agree, but... I, I know, guess I, I don't I, understand I, the yeah. technology either. Like, you know, if you look at 
you know, why does the government run the water? Well, you know, because there's only so many ways to get someone water, right? Like you can't have multiple water companies in one town. Uh, there's only so many ways to get electricity. So I can see where you can only, you can't really have multiple companies doing that. So I, I don't understand broadband technology well enough. So I, I, to, to say, well, you really can only have one company doing it because that's the infrastructure that's there. Uh, you know, I guess obviously if they're wanting to throw in a, a state one with these others, I guess it's possible therefore to have more than one provider. Um, well, and I and I think you could in the sense of like I, like I'll give you an example. You you see, uh, um, okay, so um, most of this has to do with uh, at least with the UVerse and services like what AT and T provides. It's all fiber optic lines, right? It's all fiber optic cable, and so you're talking about having fiber lines that run all throughout neighborhoods. Okay. And they're all buried, you know, in yards and whatnot. And, and, and then you have, but you have the company that buried paid to bury the lines owns the lines unless they own all the cables. And then they allow other services to effectively lease out the cables. It's sort of like you have a company that builds a cell phone tower and then another company that makes use of the cell phone tower. You know what I mean? You, you follow me so far? So far. Yes. Okay. So like in, a, a town here in North Carolina, we have Google, several towns in North Carolina. They're advertising that Google fiber is coming in and Google is coming to ru- give you internet access and it's going to be ridiculously fast and Google is going to be great. Well, actually all Google is doing is provide is providing the service. They're not providing the lines. AT&T is actually running all the lines. So Google is paying AT&T for the use of their lines. So, mm-hmm. okay. You know, why don't, but why don't more companies get involved in that? I, I can't answer that question. So wouldn't it, to me, wouldn't it be prudent to have different people, you know, cause then AT&T frankly could make a killing, but you know, does AT&T because there's only AT&T lines and Google is AT&T is leasing these lines out to AT&T. Does that mean that they have a contract with AT&T stating that AT&T will not lease out to any other company, thus giving Google a monopoly on that town? Probably. And why isn't the government stepping in to stop that? I have no idea. And then, because at some point you have to figure out, because, and this is going to be another Republican-esque response that that I agree with, that that's a concern, is that if people are going to put in the money and effort into building these lines, then they have to be able to foresee a good profit on this investment. So... True. Very true. Yeah. You know, so, so I mean, that's, the, you know, I guess does that that's, mean that the government should be able to, should be paying to put in all these lines, a second set of lines in people's houses and running them through neighborhoods? Well, that's going to be remarkably costly. Yeah. And something that we can't even accomplish right now. Like we've still got a presidential candidate who's got to make uh, grand statements about getting everybody high speed internet access, which 15 years ago, I, I, would, I thought we would have crossed that bridge by now, but yeah. no, apparently not. And how does that work? You know, yeah, do we get, and, and this is a question with roads and everything as well, you know, who, who pays, do we get private companies to build roads and allow them to put tolls on them? Do we allow, do we start to have the government laying down the wire, the, the lines for broadband? I, I don't have answers. I do not have the technical knowledge to provide answers to these questions. And I don't, I, and I haven't, I, I don't know the, I don't know the ins and outs of it. I wish I knew more about the ins and outs of the industry, but on its, on its face to me, 
you know, the issue to me at this point is that just whether or not municipalities should be allowed to, if they, if they have the infrastructure in place and the ability to do it, should they be allowed to do it? And to me, the answer is yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, and at this point, uh, you've convinced me. I agree. Hooray. Yay. Right. Moving on. Round of applause to me. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, moving on. Round of applause. Who you got? Uh, Susan Collins, one of the, the latest in a, a growing number of Republicans. But there aren't that many elected government official Republicans who have done this. But she has stood up and said, no, she will not vote for Trump. Uh, and she said that she would... She would take serious look at the Libertarian ticket. She really likes William Weld, but is unsure on Gary Johnson. Uh, she may even just write someone in if she has to. Uh, but I do want to, you know, as we talk about these Republicans who have refused to stand up to Trump, I want to give her a round of applause for doing it. So a round of applause, Susan Collins from Maine, for standing up against Trump. Yeah, she was uh, she was pretty firm and um, standing up to him. I thought it was a pretty impressive, impressive statement from her, especially considering, you know, like you said, she is a a sitting Senator, not something that we've seen a whole lot of up to now. So yeah, I I would echo that good on her. So, uh, my round of applause goes to Jim Gray, former mayor of Lexington or is he still the mayor? Yeah, he's still mayor. He's running. Still the mayor of mayor of of Lexington, Kentucky. We love Jim Gray. He, uh, is running against Rand Paul. Jim Gray was one of the only, uh, sadly was one of the only Democrats to show up to the fancy farm political convention, which I recognize sounds just couldn't possibly sound more Kentucky. Um, but it's a big deal every year. There's a, it's like a big barbecue cookout thing. And, and, and a lot of politicians go and they speak and, and, uh, try to introduce themselves to constituents. And it's, it's a big annual deal. And the Democratic Party basically punted and didn't show, with the exception of, uh, of Jim Gray, who went out, gave a speech, stood up to, to Mitch McConnell, stood up to Rand Paul, uh, did his thing, and hung out. Uh, so, one, good on Jim for, for, for representing and going. And two, shame on everybody else. Allison Grimes and uh, and the Bashirs and everybody else who just couldn't be bothered to go down there and show up in what is a really, really important event throughout the state for a really, really important Senate race to just abdicate like that was freaking pathetic. And it's everything that is wrong with the Democratic Party in Kentucky. So thumbs up, Jim Gray, round of applause, boo on the rest of you. Yeah, dev- I definitely second that. I like Jim Gray a lot. It's going to be a tough decision for me as far as you know who to vote for between him and Rand Paul. Um, yeah, there's there's just no arguing with the effect that he has had on Lexington and the growth that the city has seen under his leadership. So, round of applause to him and appreciate everything he's done. Word. Uh, okay, so we we're gonna we're gonna finish up our education talk. So last week we we talked about. Uh, elementary and secondary education tonight we're going to talk about higher education uh, where we are with those things I do however have a couple more points to follow up on with with, with you moderate bones to pick uh, while you were admittedly schooling me uh, in a lot of cases um, over that entire thing so 
one point that I have, one concern that I have with the voucher system and with uh, pro- the proliferation of private schools is religious affiliations. I think, and this is me speaking as somebody who had I children would not want to send them to a religious school. Well, if you do not want your child to receive a religious based op- education, public schooling in most cases is the only way to go. And I think that, that to me, that is a downside to the voucher system and the proliferation of public private schools in the face of public schools is that you're going to also proliferate religious schooling, which a lot of people may want. And if you want it, Hey, great, go for it. That's your thing. But there's a lot of us out there that don't. And I, 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 it is important to me to maintain that separation of church and state. And I think that, that the more you get the, the government into bed with religious organizations like that, the harder it is to maintain that wall. I, I see. And I think the exact opposite. I think that by allowing tax vouchers, this gets rid of this entire debate and struggle and discussion. You know, if you've got a religious school and the parents want to send their kids there, then great. The parents can send their school, send their kids to school there. If they want their kids to go to a secular school, then great. They can go to a secular school. This gets rid of all of this back and forth and arguing about uh, what's the big thing, right? Sex ed, right? This is the huge, this is a big area where we're seeing some differentiation between what secular people want talked about in schools versus what religious people want talked about in their schools. And if we would just have tax vouchers and parents could send their kids to where they wanted them to go to get the education that they wanted, this wouldn't even be a debate. Well, but then you have the argument that what what happens when you have a Christian school that is receiving tax dollars but refuses to be a complete equal opportunity employer and they won't uh, hire gays because of religious objections. They're receiving taxpayer money. Shouldn't they have to abide by those, by those rules? Well, I think I, there's definitely some equal opportunity laws that are – I mean, if that actually gets into all the equal opportunity laws, then that's that's the law of the land and there's not a lot to be done there. So but at the same time, I don't necessarily hold to this idea that because the tax vouchers are, are saving the government money, we're providing this service and the parents are being allowed to send their kids there for this service. I, I guess I just don't see it as an issue if a child is going to. An Islamic school or a Catholic school, I, I don't see why why this should bother people. Well, it bothers me. I'll have you know. Okay, I, I but I, I don't. I just I just don't get it. I, I don't I don't agree with it, and I don't understand it. Fair enough. I'm going to take my victory on municipal broadband and run. Okay. Um. All right. Moving on to college. So about that free college thing that everybody's talking about, uh, because that's what Bernie wanted. And Hillary technically wants it for anybody. What, what did she say? Making less than one hundred twenty-five thousand at public universities. Is that was that the was that the line? Mm-hmm. Something like that. Yeah, something like you that. You should get to go to college for free. So uh, let's just talk about that one. I honestly, I think both. I think you and I are in agreement that that's that that's an interesting idea, but it's not feasible. We just can't pay for it. Yeah. I, well, I, right. I. I, I Maybe yes, yes and no. I, I, I just the thing that bothers me is I feel like the discussion isn't about how can we make the cost 
of actually educating a person cheaper? How can we actually make it less expensive to educate this person as opposed to just, well, it's going to be really expensive, but we'll just get the government to pay for it. And, and that's, that's the thing that bothers me. So that's, let me, let me, let me take a step back and get to a more basic question. How did we get here? Costs of college have risen astronomically in the last 15 years, really since about the late nineties. Around the time you and I were graduating from high school, it college started to go higher and higher and higher and higher and higher to the point that it's ridiculously expensive these days. How did that happen? That depends on who you read. Unfortunately, uh, we're you know Republicans like me. We're going to say waste. Uh, we're going to say the growth of administrative jobs as opposed to actual just teaching jobs. So now rather than the you know, colleges primarily paying for educators, they're also paying for all of this other staff. Um, other staff to do what? Advisors. That's a big one. Um, secretaries, all, I mean, just it, IT guys, you know, like there's a lot, there's just a hey. lot more. Hey, not trying, not trying to hate, not trying to get in on your, get in on your biscuits. But there is, I mean, you look at, you look at a the standard university and there is far more administrative jobs than there used to be. Um, you also look at the We're buildings and, <laughs> you know, you also look at the buildings and everyone wants to have the biggest and best buildings to attract the best and brightest students. Well, all of these new services and all of these new buildings cost a lot of money. Um, but then also, if you read, if you read other people, uh, they'll say that the cost, and this is where I would start to just, where I would highlight what I'm talking about as far as we have to find a way to actually make the cost of educating the student cheaper. A lot of people would say that the cost of tuition has gone up so much because we have cut the budget of places more. So where we used to pay X number of dollars, now we're paying Y and expecting the students to pay for more of it. And I don't know if I agree with that statement, but that, that's what I mean as far as it depends on who you're reading. Well, what I, what I agree with is that I, what I agree with in there is this, is that arms race, right? That spending arms race mm-hmm. of how this bigger, better, faster, more idea of new buildings and rebuilding and, and tearing stuff down and, and keeping things up. Because I've watched that just at, just at UK in Lexington over the last I mean, how, how much has that campus changed? You know, they just opened a whole truckload of new dorms. Oh my God. It's which, insane. Which, which needed to, but the new dorms, you could argue that the dorms needed to happen because we had people, there were people, our parents age that lived in Kerwin and Blanding, the, the, the two main dorm towers, um, that didn't have, that didn't have high speed internet. Some places the air conditioning didn't even work. Could you just so, renovate? I don't know. Would it be more, but I mean, but I mean, that's always a question. It's like anything with a house. Is it, is it more expensive to renovate or just build it over again? You know, um, who knows? I, I don't, I don't know enough about that sort of thing to, to say, but you know, and whether or not that was explored, I have no idea, but you know, and it's the same thing with athletics, you know, you've been in this and how much, how much is this, how, how much of an effect has athletics had on this? Well, um, it depends on, I mean, it, it depends on the school, right? Because I mean, I know at UK, yeah. at least the basketball program 
the basket. My understanding is that between basketball and football, the revenues from basketball and football fund the athletic department as a whole, mm-hmm. right? So the UK athletic department is one of the only ones in the country that is entirely self-funded. But at the same time, you have what did they like? They opened a new training facility for the football team. It's the first time they've ever put any money into the football program ever. Really, that's huge, and it's this great state of the art thing, and everybody's really excited about it. Cost fifty million dollars. Mm-hmm. Fifty million dollars, and everybody's bragging like, "Oh, it's okay. It didn't cost the taxpayers anything. All of it came in from donations." Okay, but I don't know that that makes it all right because that's fifty million dollars in donations that. Did it really need to go to football? Well, that's where people were going I mean, to get money. What if it went to, you know? I, I mean, I'm all for. I, I'm with you. I'm I'm anti the the sports cult that it, that has come about. Absolutely, but if it's all donations and the football program is going to bring in money, I mean, you can look back to Lexington Catholic, right? Everyone gave Lexington Catholics our alma mater. Everyone gave Father Buter up the road for putting the priority on sports. But he knew, and it's it's worked. He knew that if you put money into sports, the people would come, and this would fund all of the art schools, the art department, theater department, all of these things. And it has. It's completely worked. You know. Yeah. For for the, to to bring people up to speed, art the high school that we went out when I got there, my freshman year had three hallways, not buildings, hallways. There were three of them. They added a fourth one by my senior year to unite the three hallways. Uh, they're the two longest hallways uh, at the center. So we had four hallways by the time I graduated. Um, now there are what? Five buildings. It's just I enormous. And I mean, that's it's, cool. It's, it's, it's that's a cool massive, massive campus. It's huge. There were 500, 500 total students. I think when I got there and there's what, three or 4,000 there now. It's, it's enormous. Yeah. And in, in, in large part, and well, I don't know about in large part, but in a not small part of it had to do with the fact that there was no football program they started a football program about three years before I got there. And you know what? It, it helps. It absolutely helped. It did. And, and there's no arguing this. So <clears throat> now you, you take a school, you've got schools like UK where the athletics bring in all of this money and they make all this money. Um, but then you've also got these smaller division one schools, right? Who are trying to make a go. And so they're having to dump a bunch of money into their athletics in order to try and get them up there. So that's definitely a place where you're going to see tuition rise because these schools are allocating all these funds to sports. Um, so, I mean, that's an issue. All, all of these things are issues. And I, for me, it goes, I have the same issue with Catholic education. We're obsessed with building, building the best, you know, how can we provide these kids with the best, most amazing education when maybe our response, our goal should be to provide everyone with a good education. Maybe it doesn't have to be the best, most amazing education for that small few who can afford it, but it's just a good education for everybody. Right. I mean, it, yeah, I, I don't know. And I, I think that that's a, a good place to swing it back to colleges is that everybody is so focused on being the best. And being, we're going to be among the top research institutions or among the top, uh, you know, liberal arts institutions or whatever. Is anybody really just worried about being good at what they do anymore? Yeah, just be, being mean, affordable. You know. Well, and you do, and this, and that's what's even more ridiculous is that now you see a venue for this 
through online education, right? My master's degree is extremely cheap because it's all online. So I, I feel like that's where our push needs to be. And so I, I don't mind budget cuts to higher education as long as it's pushing people to find less expensive ways to give kids a decent education. Right. Well, and then also training people to do things that are actually going to help them as they get better, you know, because this is another thing we haven't talked about is that, you know, how much does college really matter anymore? Yeah. How many people do you know off the top of your head that are doing things not in any way related to their degrees? Well, and that's the thing, right? It seems like it's just the degree that matters now. It's not so much if you actually are in that field, it's not so much the things that you actually learned at college. It's just that you have this piece of paper, right? Like my degree is yeah. in Latin. I don't teach Latin. I have nothing to Mine do with Latin. Film. You know? Yeah. So I, I think this is very true. And this is a major, this is a big issue. We see this, uh, employers talk about this all the time that it's, there are lots of jobs out there. They just don't have people trained for those jobs. Yeah. And, and encouraging colleges to, and what I would really like to see is that encouraging colleges to, I, you know, is like a resurgence in the associate's degree, you know, really encouraging colleges to work on job training. Think of it as, as learning trade skills, trying to really train people to do jobs if they're interested in them, or if that's really what they're looking for. <coughs> You know, because there are a lot of there are an awful lot of people out there that really don't have any interest in going to college, which is perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And I mean, I've spoken to I've had this and I've had this conversation with my last two employers in IT. I asked them, did my did my college degree make any difference in the hiring process? At the end of the day, did my college degree have anything to do with the fact that I got the job that I got? And the answer in both cases was no. In fact, I've worked for two guys that didn't have degrees. So, uh, I, and, and this is, this is in, in one of the leading industries right now, uh, which is information technology. There are a lot of jobs out there that you just don't need a full on four year degree to do. Uh, and that two good years of really focused, really good job training through an associates program would absolutely do the trick. And we put these people on track, put a lot of people on track to be making very good money. And by very good money, I'm talking pushing six figures within a few years. If they, if the, if that kind of training was out there and available, and I just don't think that universities are really big, I guess, because it's not sexy because it's not the kind of thing that's going to get us news and world reports attention. I don't, I don't know, but I don't think they're focusing enough on that. And I really think they ought to be. Agreed. And so if we saw that sort of thinking wrapped up in um, Hillary Clinton's free college thing, like if it was, we will provide free college if you are going into fields X, Y, and Z. Okay. All right. I'm in. You know, that, sound, that sounds good. But I mean, if... It, it would not behoove just a, the government blanket, to pay for my just Latin Just a blanket, degree. It yeah, just, just a blanket statement sorry. to say, you know what, we're going to pay for you to go get your four-year degree uh, studying liberal arts and basket weaving. I would not, in like, in like, yeah, in both of our cases, I would not have expected my tax dollars to fund either my film degree or your Latin degree. Yeah. You know. 
Um, but in other, you know, in other cases, you know, again, and I, I hate that I got to defend him because the further along we get, the less I like the guy. Uh, but Bevin's statement about, you know, we're not necessarily going to, we're, we're going to try to push more people towards engineering programs instead of French lit. Is he, he wasn't exactly wordsmithing it there, but he was, he, his point was actually pretty good. Yeah. If you could work past the moron, you know. Agreed. I, I think he had a very valid point. So uh, I'll give a, a solid meh to Clinton's idea. I, I'm not opposed to the idea of free college if you make under a certain amount of money, but I think that needs to be more focused than just a blanket. It's free of public universities. Fair enough. So, all right. Well, have you anything more to say about education? I think we've. No, I think we've beaten that horse about as much as we can beat it. Beaten that, yeah, we have. We've beaten that horse quite a lot. So, um, that actually is uh, is all we got for the night on the agenda. So, why don't you take us out with something cool? Something cool. My something cool is the Olympic refugee swimmer uh, Yusra. Not saying this right at all. Yusra Mardini. Uh, she is part of the first refugee Olympic team, which. I think is amazingly cool first that there is an Olympic refugee team, but then also her personal story of, you know, when she was 18 years old and they were trying to swim to safety in the boat, um, something went wrong with the boat and her and her sister had to get out and they pushed the boat for three hours. They swam and pushed the boat to shore and saved about 20 lives. I think that is extraordinarily cool. Yeah. She's amazing. That, that's a, she was telling stories about uh, training in pools that had been bombed that morning. Like there would be holes in the roof or there would only be one end of the pool that she could use um, because of, of damage from bombings. And, and they just, yeah, absolutely. That chick right there, that's why you want those people in this country. That's why you don't ban those people from coming into this country. You say, come on because of people like her. There are a few bad, bad apples out there, but there's an awful lot more people with good stories to tell like her. Yeah. Well put. Thank you. All right. Well, that is all we have for the evening. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Please uh, check out our website. Come check us out on Twitter, Libcon Matt, Libcon Tim. Uh, We hope you have a pleasant week and thank you so much for joining us. Take care. (laughs) 